from Silicon Valley, California. This is Fresh Dialogues. This week on Fresh Dialogues, we meet former NASA scientist K.R. Sridhar, who was described by Fortune magazine as one of the top five futurists. He now leads Bloom Energy, a Silicon Valley-based flexible fuel cell maker, which aims to do for the energy industry what cell phones did for communications. Although his company is in stealth mode, K.R. agreed to an exclusive interview with Fresh Dialogues on September 30th, 2009. KR, thank you for joining me today on Fresh Dialogues. You're welcome. First of all, I want to start with your background. You've been described by Fortune magazine as one of the top five futurists. What is it about you that makes you able to tell and invent the future? I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with that description, but uh, I'm not sure I'm deserving of that. But here's what I think. Uh, Like any entrepreneur, you don't look at the world and take it for what it is you always look for what it can be. And uh, when you think that way, you have a different lens, a different perspective. And you, uh, you ask some very fundamental questions, fundamental things that we take for granted. And, but you say, why should it be that way? And then you bring analogs from other worlds, other businesses, other practices, and try to insert that into a new paradigm where there is really a market need, a disruptive element that you can bring forward. The examples would be in the green space if you're thinking about uh, if you could do distributed computing from mainframe computing, and that changes the world. The fact that you could do distributed telephony, which is a mobile phone from a landline locked telephone, and you could change the world, then why couldn't you do the same thing for energy? So is that what you're proposing at Bloom yeah, Energy? Yeah, yeah, You know, that's what we're doing. So that's an example of how you take, you really didn't invent something new. You know, distributed is a lot better than centralized because you're empowering the people. Right. It's not some central authority that's going to tell you when and how you can get your energy in. At, at what cost and when can you have it? Right. You give the power to the people. They, right. You empower them. And talking of empowering the people, I want to talk about your motivations with Bloom Energy for deciding, okay, I'm going to leave NASA and I'm going to invent the future energy technology. What, what is your key motivator? I mean, is it climate change? Is it the world's poor? Is it the future for your children? What exactly, or is it the huge market opportunity that you've talked a lot about? Well, it's all of the above, right. but fundamentally, the the driver that makes you wake up in the morning and say, this is more than a job, this is a mission, uh, you know, I'm committed to something that I'll absolutely do. Where does that come from? It comes from something very fundamental. As human beings, as parents, any parent knows that Anywhere in the world you go talk to any parent, it doesn't matter what religion, country, economic, social background they have. If there's one thing they have in common, they want a better life for their children than what they had. And I deeply believe that unless we solve this energy issue and not make it a zero-sum game, 
where more and more of the population as the world's population grows has to use a fixed amount of energy and so each one uses a lot less. Uh, then we cannot promise our future generations a better life than what we had. But the big misunderstanding, in my opinion, is people believe that more energy is more pollution, more unsustainable. There is nothing in science or technology, no physical laws, no chemical laws that say more energy and sustainability are have to be at odds with, with one another. So is Bloom Energy's solution, is it non-polluting, zero uh, pollution? Yes and no, and I'll explain what I mean by that. We have chartered a roadmap. The roadmap simply says, today you have abundance of fossil energy, which no matter how you use it, will create some greenhouse gases. But then you ask the question, for the same amount of energy that I need to produce, useful energy, you know, electricity, for example, that I need to produce, how do I cause the least amount of pollution? So how can I take that fossil fuel and produce, squeeze the maximum number of electrons out of it until the renewable fuels in a sustainable way become prevalent and, you, and the same technology that you used as a bridge to the future is also the future because it can use renewable fuels and give you zero net carbon. So it can do both. So that's the practical way to get into something is as a baby, you first learn to crawl, then to walk, and then run. We want to just go from sitting down to running. And I, I don't think there is that magic portion. So we're building both the bridge as well as a future destination. Right. You're also good friends with Tom Friedman. And yes. he's quoted you in a recent column last year. We are thrivers. Thrivers are constantly looking for new opportunities to seize and lead and be number one. That is what America is about. Can you explain that comment and whether you feel with Bloom Energy that's part of your motivation to, to lead and thrive and be number one? Absolutely. Uh, we want to be number one simply because... The mission of the company, and you, you would have seen it as you walked in in posters, is we fundamentally want to change the world. Uh, this is a mission about changing the world because energy is the passport to a better living. And for the rest of the world that do, do not have, that does not have access to power, access to electricity, to give them that is empowering them to a better life. So you, if the solution works and you make it affordable and you can distribute it all over the world, then definitely you've changed the world. So the motivation is that. If that's the motivation and that's the goal and you achieve that goal, clearly given the size of the energy market, uh, given how big it is, it's in trillions and not in billions, and given how many people that you can impact with this kind of a stuff, this has to be a prominent company. Uh, so I would say being the number one corporation is an offshoot of achieving your larger mission, which cannot be just counted in dollars and cents. So that's what makes me feel really good about what I'm doing, because you can do good and make good and not have a conflict between those two. And as far as saving the world from itself, what is your 
timetable for that. I mean, we were living in fast-paced Silicon Valley. People want to see results, and I'm aware that you have a lot of pressure. When is it going to be revealed, the magic bloom box? Mm -hmm. What is your big-picture timetable? Well, as any entrepreneur, as any missionary who wants to do something big, uh, you'll find in co- one thing in common in all of them. There's a sense of urgency. You feel you, you feel like you need to do it faster than humanly possible, and you somehow believe that, and you push it. Not necessarily because you get there, but by having that sense of urgency, you get there faster than anybody thinks is possible. Uh, but this is a big scale issue. Uh, the size of this market the size of what needs to get done is larger than what people normally think about. This is not a microchip. These are huge devices, uh, need to be built in very large quantities. And if you take automotives, if you take anything else and see its penetration and how long it takes to build and how long it takes to build factories, how long it takes to build the factories that can build the machines for the factories, these things don't happen overnight. Uh, So... It's going to be faster than conventional energy people think it's going to happen because they think in decades and centuries and don't think anything is going to change. It's going to be slower than what the bits and bytes people in Silicon Valley think because it's not like software that you're just going to write and then copy it 100 times over or a million times over instantly and distribute it's going to be a happy medium in between. So you're looking at within a decade as as opposed to within a century, but you're not talking about eight quarters. You're talking about longer than that. Okay. And are you at the stage where you have the test boxes out there in the field? We have field trials going on. We are still in a stealth mode, so we really don't get into the details of explaining that. But stay tuned, and soon you'll hear about it. Great. And are the trials going on just in Silicon Valley in your facility here in Sunnyvale, or are you trying them out in India and all over the world? There have been reports written about our work in Tennessee uh, that's been going on for a couple of years. Uh, But again, the details of that are not something that we like to discuss at this point of uh, time, other than to say uh, we're very optimistic about where it's going, and we feel very good about where it is. And uh, it'll get there. And your funders are quite happy with progress? Yes. Good. That's important. Yes. Tell me in simple terms for a layperson what the bloom box does. I've read that it's a chemical reaction in a box. Can you explain a little more than that? The easier way to describe that without getting into the details again is very simply when you take a fuel doesn't matter whether it's a renewable fuel like a biofuel or a biomass-generated fuel, or it is a fossil fuel, uh, coal, oil, natural gas, whatever it is. A fuel is simply a substance that has in it chemical energy. You burn that in air. That's combustion. And when you burn that, you see the flame, and that creates heat. So you've converted chemical energy to heat energy. That raises steam. The steam then goes into a big turbine that spins, so you've converted the heat energy to mechanical energy. Now, around that is a copper coil, and that copper coil called an alternator converts the mechanical energy to electrical energy. 
So the way you convert this fuel to electrons on the other end, which is what you need, is going from chemical energy to thermal energy to mechanical energy to electrical energy. When you do multiple forms of energy conversion, it's like starting with your dollar and going from airport to airport and changing your currency everywhere mm. and paying the commissions. You're losing out. Yes. And at the end, you end up with a lot, more, a lot less than a dollar if you started with a dollar. Right. And in, in science terms, uh, if you start with a dollar in this chemical, you end up with 30 to 40 cents by the time you get to electrons in the conventional way of converting the fuel. And a to, lot of CO2. Yeah, yeah, to the electricity. So if you need 40 cents worth of electricity, you need to burn 100 cents worth of fuel and create 100 cents equivalent of CO2, wherever that is. And after that, because this kind of conversion only works very well in large scale, we are talking, you know, 500 megawatts to a gigawatt size plant, uh, which can do somewhere from half a million to a million homes, if you want to think about it, that size big power plants, you put them very far away from where you live, and you have transmission distribution lines that bring right. it hundreds of miles. So you lose another 8 to 10%. So you've done one more conversion of your currency, if you want to think about yes. it. Lose another 8 to 10% in con you know, conversion. So what the bloom box does is it takes the chemical energy from the fuel and converts that to electrons with no in-between conversion. So you're changing your currency only once. And how does it do that? Uh, it is an electrochemical reaction. The simplest way for you to conceive of that is similar to your battery. You right. know, in your car you have a lead-acid battery and a chemical reaction goes on and electricity comes on the other side. So you're all familiar, everybody's familiar with that. The big difference between our box, which is a fuel cell, and that box, which is a battery, is a battery is only a storage device, energy storage device. You put the energy in, it keeps it there. When you need it, you suck it out. And if it's a primary battery, you can use it once and throw it away. If it's a rechargeable battery, you keep doing that cycle, charge, recharge cycle again and again. Whereas in a fuel cell, it's not a storage device. It is a power generator. So you keep supplying the fuel in. As long as you're supplying the fuel, you'll keep getting your electrons out without having to go through the charge-recharge cycle, but a similar electrochemical reaction, which is simply to say you take a, a chemical and convert that to electricity with no in-between steps, and most importantly, without combustion, without fire. And so not only do you because of the high efficiency you get from that one-step conversion, do you have to burn less fuel and therefore less greenhouse-emitting gases? But because there is no combustion, you eliminate all the combustion-related polluting gases like NOx and SOx from getting into the atmosphere. Right. And I also understand part of the bloom box is splitting out the hydrogen. Uh, that's an option. So people always ask... It's electricity. Is it a fuel cell for the car? The answer is no. This is a stationary for stationary uses like buildings and houses and stuff like that. So then the question is, we got the big transportation infrastructure that requires fuel, and how are you going to deal with that? Well, the answer is transportation can potentially go in two directions in the future. One is a hydrogen infrastructure for the car. The other one is an electrical infrastructure for the car. 
we're already getting a lot more comfortable with plug-in hybrids. Right. Which is which is right around the horizon. Do you, which do you is drive one? You know, which is an you know, which is an electrical. Mm-hmm. Well when the when the when the plug in hybrids are there I would drive one. I don't like You don't the, drive a Tesla? I don't I don't like the hybrid as it is. Well Tesla unfortunately I have children and I need a four seater. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I'm waiting for the Fisker. Right. <laughs> which right. is a four seater. Yes, it's eminent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there so you got either hydrogen or electricity. So our device can either pr- produce the electricity that will charge the car or provide you hydrogen if the transportation becomes a hydrogen-based. So we've sort of become the gas station right. for the transportation and do you, industry. I mean, your vision of the future with this KR has been described as a refrigerator-sized device. That's is, the ultimate vision. The ultimate, the, vision ultimate. Is, the ultimate vision is how we get there. I can't describe right now. I see. So okay. that's maybe what twenty years off or something. Uh, no, or who knows? Uh, I mean, I mean, for us again, Silicon Valley time ultimate is within a decade. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's right. all within a decade. Right. right. Well, K.R. Sridhar, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on Fresh Dialogues. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fresh Dialogues. This is Alison Van Diggelen. For more lively interviews with Jack Welch, Guy Kawasaki, and many more leaders go to freshdialogues.com. With special thanks to Tom Kromkowski and Carol Pecora for technical support and Kevin McLeod, who wrote and produced our music. 